You're listening to audio from Calvary Gravenhurst in Muskoka, Ontario. For more resources or to connect with someone in the church, please visit calvarygravenhurst.com. It is so great to be with you again, to see you. For some of you, I see some new faces, so it's great to meet you for the first time. My name is Benjamin. My wife and I have been members here at Calvary for eight years now, and it is such an honor to be invited back by Pastor Mark and the elders to preach. Um, I, in fact, had the honor after, uh, before this, of being asked uh, to take up official position for the next couple of months uh, until we move. Um, and so we have been given the, the position, or I've been given the position by Pastor Mark of Director of Excommunication. <laughs> and uh, I was handed this piece of uh, paper by uh, Don with a list of names on it um, to fill my new role. And so is Joseph Simonetta here? Uh, there he is. And Daryl McCullough, where are you? I need to see you after the service uh, out in the parking lot. The elders have uh, some news to pass on. No, but uh, it is such an honor to be here and, and, and to just sit amongst, stand amongst people I love. And uh, I ask you and encourage you to pick up a Bible and turn to Proverbs chapter 3. And I want to talk to you about two verses uh, that over the last uh, three, four months have just been uh, so pivotal, pivotal to me, uh, holding on to my faith and, and uh, just what God has been doing in my heart. So Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. If you don't know a Bible, we want you to take one. So take the one in the seat in front of you as uh, this church's gift to you. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. Solomon writes, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not rely on your own understanding. And in all your ways, know him, and he will make your path straight. The hardest part of your life, your Christian life that is, is, is not going to be your marriage It's not going to be raising your children. It isn't going to be getting through school. It's not going to be saving for retirement. It's not going to be completing a marathon. It's not going to be consistently going to church or reading your Bible all the way through. It's it's not even believing in God. That's not the hardest part of your Christian faith. The hardest part of your faith will be trusting in God, to trust God. That's the hardest part because to trust God means to walk, to live, to do what God has asked you to do without all the answers, without even a clear explanation of why, without the promise that everything is going to work out the way you think it should. The trusting is the hardest thing God will ask you to do because it's acknowledging the reality that you're not in control, that in fact, God is in control. And it's amazing that of all the things God had Solomon write, the two most famous verses are this, are these two. The wisest man that ever lived, that, that watched society uh, rise and fall, that, that viewed the lives of hundreds, thousands of people, 
says this is what you should focus on doing. And I want to just look at that uh, with you for the next little while. And, and really, at the end of the sermon, I'm going to tell you how this has affected my life and how I've had to live this. So let's pray. God, we believe that in the days that you had Solomon write this, you are just as present with us now as you were then. That you desire us to trust in you just like David did just like Solomon did for a time, just like Peter did, just like John did, just like the countless men and women throughout the centuries have, you desire us in 2023 to trust you with all our hearts. You don't want us to lean on our own understanding. You want us, your, your prayer for us is, is that in all ways we would acknowledge you and know you. And our hope is, Lord, that you will make our paths straight. So open our hearts today, Lord, to see if we're really trusting in you. To see if, we, if we're not leaning on our own understanding or we are acknowledging you in all the ways we should. And give us hope for the future. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, let's, let's break this down into four parts. First part, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Uh, well, I want you to imagine that if faith has two parts to it, belief is the first part. Uh, belief is the gate you enter into salvation through. It requires a basic amount of knowledge about who God is. Uh, you know information about Him and you choose to believe it, and so you move into belief, the basic part of faith. But then trust, well, that's the advanced part of faith. That's the next level. That's where you move from belief into living out what you say you believe in. It's where you take the knowledge of who God says he is, what he desires of you to, for your life, and you actually apply it. It's where you move out of your safe Christian bubble and live not by sight, but by faith. You know, it's probably the best example I think I've given it a few times before, but when thinking about faith and, and this Christian life, thinking about a parachute, right? Imagine you're in a plane and, and you're on the plane and somebody hands you this parachute. You know what it is. You've heard about parachutes before and they say, uh, this plane will most likely go down at some point on the journey. Uh, this parachute has the ability to save your life if you put it on and you jump out and you pull the cord. Well, you're most likely going to believe in that because you know that every day tens of thousands of people jump out of planes and most of them live. The parachute keeps most of them from plummeting to their death. And so you have a belief in the parachute. Some of you might even be bold enough to put the parachute on, right? And walk around because it makes you uh, feel like you're in control. It gives you some confidence. Kind of like, you know, sometimes we'll, we'll put on a Christian t-shirt. It, it empowers us. Or we'll have a crucifix on our earrings or a necklace. Or you'll get Christian tattoos, right? And you're feeling confident. I, I know what this says and believes. But it doesn't mean you trust the parachute. Because trusting the parachute requires you to put it on, step to the edge of the plane, jump out, and pull the ripcord. There is a difference between knowing something about the parachute and trusting in the parachute. And I would say to you that most Christians live with a basic 
belief, live out their Christian faith in a basic belief of Christianity, but not a trusting in God. Many of us live most of our Christian lives with the parachute example in mind, standing at the door with the parachute in hands, watching the world go by, occasionally seeing somebody else jump out of the plane, but being too terrified to actually do it ourselves. Why do we do this? Well, I think it's because jumping out of the plane Jumping into a life of trusting God requires us to give up control, right? When you're on the plane and you're staring out the window, you're still holding onto the sides. You've still got your feet planted on the ground. You're still in control. And when we're believing in the things that we're hearing about and reading about in God's word, but we're not actually living them out radically the way Jesus requires us, we're still in control, And we're still saying, God, I'm going to follow you, but only to a certain level, only to where I feel comfortable, where I'm actually in control. And that is why it's the hardest part of life. And Solomon knows this, and he doesn't just tell us trust in sometimes. Notice he says all the time, trust in the Lord with all your heart. That's, that's an impossible task. He knows this. Nobody does it perfectly. Nobody trusts in God with all their heart. And yet that is where he's telling you to shoot for. With every uh, fiber of your being, he says, give yourself, your life, your destiny, your passions, your hopes, your dreams, your fears to God. Trust him with those because he is faithful. When I read through Genesis, I always love and look forward to when I get to Genesis 37. Because Genesis 37 to Genesis 50, those 13 chapters, is the life of Joseph. And you ever ask yourself, why did God dedicate 13 chapters of, of the first book of the Bible to the life of this one man? Well, I believe it's because the life of this one man, if we could sum up his life, it would be with the word trust. He trusted in God through a lot of horrible things. He tried to serve his his, uh, father the best that he could when he was a young man. And what did he get for it? Sold into slavery, betrayed by his brothers. He, He tries to serve his master in slavery the best that he can for God. What does he get? Falsely accused and thrown into jail. He tries to help a few guys that are pretty lost in the prison and pretty hopeless. And what does he get for that when one gets out, forgotten about and left in prison for a couple of years? And yet, the whole way, all through that, he trusted in God. That was his life. And because he trusted in God, because he didn't lean on his own understanding, because he didn't grow as many of us would grow bitter, angry, resentful, in the end, God accomplished his purposes in him. In the end, in Genesis 50, verse 20, Joseph says to those very brothers that sold him, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. Trusting is believing that God has a plan, which he will work out according to his will. And you and I have the choice to either choose that, believe that, live that, or not. But if we don't live that, then we'll never experience all that God desires for our lives. And so let's, let's look at a few disclaimers to trusting 
few disclaimers. Before you move from basic faith into trust, or what are a few disclaimers? Well, first of all, it's that trusting doesn't mean everything is going to work out the way you hope or think it should. Job is a perfect example of that. There's few people that loved God and were as faithful to God as Job was, and yet Job lost his children, and he never got them back. And I'm sure as Job was wrestling through this life in faith, he he knew the God of the Bible. He knew the God that created him and had prospered him could bring his children back. He knew it. And yet God never did. Secondly, trusting in God doesn't mean you're always going to get it right. The Christian life is not about getting it right. Okay? The Christian life, the essence of the Christian life is a relationship with God, about a desire, your heart wanting to do what God desires of you to do, not necessarily about getting it right because you're not going to. I certainly don't. I have messed up so many times in my life, sometimes because of sin as a Christian, yes, sometimes uh, because I should have known better, but I didn't think through it and pray through it well, and sometimes... I just messed up. I tried and I mess up. That is life. That is life as a Christian. And if somebody tells you you're supposed to be perfect because you're following Christ, well, sorry, they're a liar because they're not perfect either. But God looks to the heart of a person. He really looks at your heart and says, does that person desire to follow me? Do they desire to love other people as themselves? Are they interested in my kingdom? Then that's a heart that I love. The hoity-toity religious person who pretends like they have it all together, God says, not interested in that, but a humble heart. And to us, when we mess up, you know what God does? Shows us grace. God's outflowing of grace from heaven is never-ending. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, He will love you even when you mess up, time and time again. All He desires of you and I when we mess up is a humble heart. It's a heart that says, yeah, I messed up. Help me to change. I don't want to stay this way. Help me, God. And when we acknowledge our failures in trust, God pours out more grace on us. Because the reality is, I need you to get this. If you're going to walk away with something, I need you to walk away with this. We, me and you, we are all walking disasters. We are. You know it, deep down in your mind, in your heart, we're all at varying levels walking disasters. The God of the universe still loves us in our messiness. And so to you, fellow walking disasters, know that God will pour out His grace to you time and time again. Just keep trusting in Him. Uh, But there are some, and I hope none in here, who in their pride can only see the failures of everyone else. Uh, To that heart, that, that is a heart that should be afraid and that I feel sorry for the most. But let us never forget Romans 8, verse 28. For we know, and this is the hard thing for us to really get, we know that God works all things together for the good of those who love God, one, and are called according to His purpose, two. So if you're loving God, if you're trusting Him and you're messing up, know that He's going to somehow take that and He's going to use it for good because you love Him and He's going to use it for His purpose. Third disclaimer, trusting doesn't mean you won't 
suffer. Actually, it's probably a guarantee. If you trust God and you, and you jump out of that plane, you're probably going to suffer because uh, all the great men and women of God and of, of faith, they suffer. And Jesus said, if they hated me, they're going to hate you. And if they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. For in this life, you will have trouble. But then the promise, but do not, but take heart. I have overcome the world. So in our suffering... Uh, as we trust and we suffer, you know what we do? You know what God does through that? He inspires others through our suffering. Now, when you can see a person who's going through a hard time and yet they're still trusting God, they're not becoming bitter. They're not becoming like so many people in the world. People take notice. That encourages and inspires other people. I've been doing a lot more reading lately, especially of the Puritans and the Reformers during the, after the Reformation up to about the 19th century. And if you haven't read, you should read Fox's Book of Martyrs. It's, a, it's an old book, but if you've never gone through it and, and seen what the men and women of the past have gone through uh, for the gospel's sake, you will be inspired. And one guy I've been getting to know a lot more in the last couple of months is a guy by the name of John Rogers. Born 1500, died 1555 in a really hard time in England. Uh, when it was illegal for a regular person to read the Bible for themselves, to translate it uh, into English. He was educated at Cambridge when it was still a, a sort of underground school. Uh, he, he came and became friends with William Tyndale, who was translating the Bible into English. And, and when William Tyndale was killed, he actually took the remainder of the Old Testament and translated it secretly and he was hunted throughout Europe. And then he, he goes to England. And, and there was this brief period of time under King Edward after uh, King Henry had died that Protestants were allowed to worship and, uh, and preachers were allowed to preach the Bible from the pulpit. And, and, and it was a great time in England, a small uh, select, I think, eight years and so uh, he becomes one of the most known pastors throughout England and Scotland, uh, one of the most compassionate, fiery, bold pastors there was, uh, who loved Jesus with all his heart. And then in 1553, Queen Mary, Bloody Mary, you've probably heard that reputation, uh, she became the queen, and she was a staunch Catholic. She hated uh, Bible-believing Christians. And so, a little bit after she got power, she arrested all the most prominent pastors and theologians throughout England and Scotland, and she wanted to make an example. She didn't want to kill them all. She wanted them all to recant their faith and put their faith in the church and not in Jesus Christ alone. And so, she, she let them rot in prison for a while, and we're not talking nice prisons, we're talking dungeons. And she said, they said, which one should we make an example of first so we can break all the rest? And they chose John Rogers. And so they gave him a chance to recant. He wouldn't. And so we're talking a big parade through the streets of London uh, that ends at this place where she is going to burn him alive. And, and they put him on pieces of wood and they light it up. And around his neck would have been a, a thing full of gunpowder that once the fire reached the top and consumed, most of the body would explode. And the idea was there would be nothing left of that person, not a memory, nothing to bury of that person. And so they paraded John Rogers through. But he wasn't, he wasn't uh, crying. He wasn't weeping. He marched uh, 
Fox's Book of Martyrs says, through the streets, his congregation came out to encourage him along. Everyone was waiting to hear, would he break under the pressure, uh, under the suffering, would he recant? All those waiting in prisons were waiting to hear. And they gave him one last chance when he got there. They positioned his wife and his 11 children right there. The queen was looking overhead, and he walks up to her, and he looks her in the eyes. And they smile, and he marches up and takes his position. Nobody had to drag him up there. And as the flames started to consume him, it says that he washed his hands in the fire, raised his hands, and started singing a hymn of praise in front of the queen. And thousands and thousands of Christians all across England and Scotland were inspired and encouraged to hold fast to their faith. So when we suffer, our children, our grandchildren, our neighbors, our coworkers are watching to see if we really believe. If we're really walking the narrow road as Jesus welcomes us to in Matthew 7, 13, 14, enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the road is broad that leads to destruction. And there are many, many through walk, who walk through it. How narrow is the gate and how difficult is the road that leads to life, though? And there are a few who find it. I think the, the lead singer of Mercy Me has it right. He's speaking, he's singing out of personal pain in the song, Even If, when he says, it's easy to sing when there's nothing to bring me down, but what will I say when I'm held to the flame like I am right now? I know you're able, and I know you can, save through the fire with your mighty hands, but even if you don't, my hope is in you alone. That's trust. Last disclaimer. Trusting in God doesn't mean you won't doubt, because I doubt. There are times, many times, I've wondered if God is even there, if he's even listening, if he's forgotten about me. Trusting doesn't mean you won't have times of doubt. Remember the father in Mark chapter 9 who, who brought his son to Jesus and the disciples and, and there was a demon inside the sun, and this demon would throw the boy into epileptic uh, fits, and, and the people in their houses in the Middle East always had a fire going, a cooking fire, because they didn't have matches or lighters. And sometimes the boy would roll into the fire, and, and the father, so desperately loving his child, took him to the, the doctors and to the religious leaders. They couldn't do anything, and took him to the disciples, but they couldn't do anything, and he finally brings him to Jesus and says, if you can. If you can. I'm, I'm desperate. I, I, I don't think you can, but if you can, and Jesus says... If, and then in, in desperation and in doubt, and yet, and yet in trust, he says, I believe, but help me with my unbelief. And Jesus, in his unbelief, helped him. And we will doubt. We will have times. But don't grow weary. Come back to him and trust. And then he goes on and says, Solomon says, and do not rely on your own understanding. Solomon knows the opposite of trusting in God was to trust in your own understanding. If you don't trust in God, most likely you're going to flip-flop onto your own understanding. And, and that's why the culture, our culture, most often than not chooses its own way. Because God says this way, so that doesn't make sense, so we're going to choose this way. That's what we see happening around us. Usually the, pretty much the opposite of whatever God says but Solomon later writes in Proverbs 14 to listen to this. There is a way that seems right to a person. There is a way, 
That seems right to you and I, but then he warns, in the end, it is the way to death. Solomon knows that when you and I don't trust in God, our default is to lean on our own understanding. And you and I, if we're honest, have some preconceived notions of what is right and wrong. Just some, some ways we formulated that, yeah, this is the way it is, without even really knowing if that is the way it really is. And so how do we not lean on our own understanding? Well, it's, it's simple and yet it's hard. First, we have to know what God says. How are you going to not uh, lean on your own understanding if you don't know what God says, the alternative to your own understanding? That's why you got to study your Bible. you got to know it for yourself. You can't just come once a week on Sunday and hear, hear about a couple of verses. You need to be knowing what God says. That's why his word was written in common Greek tongue so that everyone could know. Second, you've got to trust that it's a better way than yours. That's the harder part. We can know a lot about the Bible, but ah, do I actually believe it's better than my own way? Or am I somehow smarter? Yeah, I think I'm smarter than God. Uh, I, I know what he says, but I think I am. No, we've got to say, no, I don't know better than God. His way is better, as hard as it is. And then three, we have to do it. And, and many times we never live the full Christian life in the full breadth and width that, that God desires us to because we're leaning on our own understanding. We're living the Christian life according to Ben. Doesn't work. There's a great example of, of what it means to not lean on your own understanding in Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. That was the last best, uh, the last good Indiana Jones movie. 1989. I was nine years old. I can remember uh, watching it. Uh, and, and in it, um, so they're trying to find the Holy Grail. And Indy, um, he gets to the end, and his dad, Sean Connery, has been trying to uh, figure out, he's been researching how to get past the traps that the Crusaders have set uh, in order to get to the Holy Grail. No one's ever made it past these traps, uh, but he's got in his father's journal the, the instruction on getting past it. And so he gets to this chasm. And he comes out, and like, from here to the wall, probably further across, uh, there's the entrance. It's just this giant chasm. And, and he reads it, and it says, it's a leap of faith. Step out in faith. And so he has no choice, right? He just, he just says, it's a leap of faith. There's no way I can jump that. So I have to believe that if I step out, there's going to be something there. And then he steps out. I won't do that because I'll probably break my ankle. <laughs> but he steps out in faith, and what's underneath him, what was an invisible bridge, all, all of a sudden shows itself, and, and that is living not according to your own understanding. This doesn't make sense, but God says do it. That's what, when Moses went to God and God said, I want you to go, Moses, and, and bring my people out of captivity, I'm going to use you as the instrument, Moses is like, this doesn't make any sense, but God says go and do it anyway. When Elijah uh, came to, he came to this woman, this widow and her son, and as a, as a drought throughout the land, and there's no food, and this poor woman says, uh, I've only got enough food for one last meal, and Elijah says, yeah, but I want you to make me a meal with that food, and God is going to bless you. She, in her mind, would say, well, this makes no sense. He's the prophet of God. He could get it from anywhere, but he's requiring it of me. What does she do? Lean on her own understanding? No. She does what God asks. This is what it means not to lean on your own understanding. Trust and believe. You might say, you might be visiting. Maybe you came with a friend and you're like, really? 
Trust and believe, that's so primitive, idiotic. I can't believe there's people that still believe in this. In a scientific age, trust and believe. Well, what are the alternatives? Trust in yourself. How's that going for our culture? Is that going well? No, we could trust in the government. We could trust in institutional religion, big denominations. How does that work? We could trust in our spouse, right? Because our spouse is supposed to be perfect. But I've had dozens of couples sit in my office over the years uh, that would attest to that their spouse is not perfect. So, really the only one worthy of our trust and our full faith is God because He is the only one that is perfect. He is the only one who was the beginning and will be the end. He sees everything in all angles. He is worthy of our trust. And sometimes He's just testing us. Sometimes this uh, thing he's asking you to go through, it's a test to see, what will he do? Flip-flop and go to his own understanding? Or trust me? That's why James, the half-brother of Jesus, wrote in James 1, verses 2 and 3, Consider it great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials. Really, James? Joy? Yes, he says. Because you know that your testing, the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its full effect so that you will be mature and complete. An untested faith is not a mature faith. No, but as God tests us and we see He's worthy of our, of our trust, we become stronger and more mature. God sees the needs of our future, and He prepares a test for us in the present day. And I love quizzes, not um, I did a test yesterday on Saturday uh, for the course I'm doing, and, and the idea, um, I didn't probably do as good a job, but it is, is for a test, a human test, is you study, right? You learn the answers in advance, so when the test comes, uh, you write them down. Uh, but that's not the way it is in God's tests. God's tests are you learn the God of the universe and trust that He knows the answers to the test He's putting you through. That's why relationship is so foundational. That's why Solomon will say in verse 7, do not be wise in your own eyes. Because the person that's wise in their own eyes, they don't need God's way. They can figure it out themselves. It's not going to make sense. It didn't make sense to Esther when Mordecai said, you need to go in front of the king even though you haven't been invited and petition him to save the Jews. He says, who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. But Esther knows in her mind, this doesn't make any sense. I, I can't do this. My own understanding says don't do this. And yet, she did it. And it worked out. Well, we made it through one verse. Let's make it through the second one faster. Verse 6. In all your ways, acknowledge, in all your ways know him. Some of your Bibles might say acknowledge him. But if you look at it in the Hebrew, know him is actually the best uh, translation. In all your ways, know him. Notice that this is not past tense talking, meaning it's not just knowing information about a person you have never known yourself. I, I love Abraham Lincoln as a president. He's my favorite president of the United States. I know lots of things about him. I know his mother died when he was about five years old, um, and his father left for about five months to go and find a new wife, left him in the forest on his own to take care of himself. I know that he was a, a lawyer who struggled with depression 
uh, but genuinely wanted to follow Christ. I, I know things about him, but I don't know him. That's not the kind of know him Solomon is writing about. He's talking about a present tense, meaning he's alive and you actually know him. You have a relationship with him. That's the kind of know him in all your ways. In your whole life, have a relationship with him. And so that means in your marriage, trust him, know him, let him be involved in your marriage, in your singleness, know him, let him be involved in your singleness, in your words, in your pursuits, in your body, everything has open access to God. Here God is my whole life, know it and let me know you and let our lives mold together. That's why uh, when, when Jesus is talking about uh, the tr- uh, marriage and he says it's to be one flesh between husband and wife, just like Christ in the church, which is the great mystery, uh, what he's saying is that everything is to be intertwined together between the believer and God. It's his desire for you. Jesus said, this is eternal life, that they may know you the only true God and the one you have sent, Jesus Christ. Eternal life is not some distant thing that happens when you die. Eternal life, Jesus is saying now, it's a relationship with God here and now that leads into the eternal life. A religious person doesn't have that. A religious person just knows things about God but you can see it in their crusty face and, and how they, they don't really manifest the attributes of God. You can see it. They don't know the God of the Bible. Well, but a person that knows God is like David, a, a person who wrote in Psalm 86, verse 11, teach me your ways, O Lord, so that I may live your truth. Not just know your truth, live your truth. Give me an undivided mind. And then he concludes with, Solomon does, and he will make your path straight. This is the promise, that he, God, will someday make your path straight. This involves waiting. Are Canadians good at waiting? Nope. We're horrible at it. I'm not good at it. But if you wait on God, if you trust in God, he's going to make your crooked crooked path straight. He's going to someday bring you through the fog and the mist that is currently before you. He's going to someday make the scales fall off your eyes so you can see what he desires of you do. Someday, if you keep listening, he's going to open your deaf ears so you can hear him. Someday, he's going to maybe heal that broken relationship you have. Someday, he's going to fill the void of depression that you struggle with. Someday he's going to move the mountain that seems to be in front of your life and your challenges. Someday you're trusting. Someday God is going to make it happen. This is God's promise to those who will trust him, who will step out of just believing into trust. This is our great hope, isn't it? For what hope do we have if we don't have this hope? And so... Let me conclude by telling you about how this has been the verses, the two verses that have got me through the last couple of months. As some of you would know, most of you would know, and some of you wouldn't know, six months ago I gave my notice uh, here at Calvary that I'd be transitioning out as the lead pastor, that I knew our family did not have, uh, uh, was not the family to take Calvary through its next phase of life that God was taking it through. And so we made plans. We, we prayed about those plans. We thought those plans uh, were good. Um, 
but they were according to our own understanding, it would appear. And I literally, over the last three months, have, um, especially the last three months, I've prayed this um, and just said these verses over and over, dozens of times in my head throughout the day. Trust in the Lord, Ben, with all your heart. This doesn't make sense, Ben, but lean, don't lean on your own understanding. Ben, are you acknowledging him in all your ways? He's going to make your path straight over and over and over again. I, I was telling somebody, I, I feel like, like a guy who's been climbing a mountain, uh, if you've ever been rock climbing, uh, and, and I was tired and I, I was reaching what I thought was like a little uh, cleft in the rock where I could just uh, sit and rest for a little while. But when I got there, it broke and I fell and I was falling. But the safety rope grabbed me, which is God. And I feel like I'm just hanging there on the side of a mountain. I'm not falling, but I don't know where I'm going. But I know that God has got me. That's what it's felt like the last couple months. In the summer, as I was transitioning out here, I thought, well, okay, if we're not doing lead pastoral ministry because we need a break from that, I'll, I'll, I'll apply for jobs with mission organizations, being the go-to guy between churches and missions. And I applied to four of those. I thought I was qualified. Other people thought I was qualified. And we thought, we'll sell our house and go south. But I didn't get any of the jobs. We didn't sell our house. And then come uh, my last week here at Calvary in August, and, and I get a call from, from uh, my friend in Texas, and, and he's given some of my sermons to uh, the church that he's a part of, and they want me to become the men's pastor, an interview for the process, a dream job, the men's pastor. My job is to preach at men and build up men, something I can understand. I'm sorry, ladies, but you're way too complex for my mind to understand. And all the husbands said... <clears throat> And so we, we fly down there, and, and it, it looks, looks great. We're excited. The whole family's excited. The more I, I talk to the immigration lawyers and the process, I realize, ah, but this, this job is great. This opportunity seems wonderful, but it isn't going to be the best thing for our family as a whole. And so I go seek out wise advice like I'm supposed to, and I go to this young, good-looking pastor uh, in Gravenhurst, and I say, I got this opportunity, Pastor Mark. It, it looks great for me. It's a dream job. But my family, it's not going to be great for them. In fact, they might have to leave after five years. I, I, I don't hear God saying e either one, which way should I go? And him and his wisdom says to me, well, if you don't hear God's voice, then I would go with what you know. And what you know is God desires you to care for your family. That's good advice. And then a day or so later, I'm reading 1 Corinthians chapter 7, where Paul is talking about marriedness and married people and single and how single people can totally devote their life to God. They can go wherever God says. But a married person has a divided, uh, divided uh, attention, and they have to care for their family as well as look out for God's interests. So, I was coming to the conclusion. And so, the first week of November was extremely hard. I'm just saying it every day. God, I trust you. God, I don't know where I'm going. God, I don't know what I'm doing. Help me. I don't know. And Remembrance Day, leading up to Remembrance Day, I'd say this is probably one of the worst Remembrance Days in, in probably 10 years. Just 
two years after the Taliban retook Afghanistan, and I just felt so alone. I just, uh, in my head, I just felt like nobody understands. There's nobody that really cares anymore. It feels like the world is descending more back into that. And then my father was admitted into the ICU that week, and if you know my testimony, you know that's a particularly painful relationship. I always had dreams and hopes for what that would be, but it never was. The day after, two days after Remembrance Day on November 13th, I was with him there as he took his last breaths. And the morning of, morning personally, that I would never have that. That was hard. And then the next day on the Tuesday, I had to call the elders of Stonegate and tell them, actually, even though I had taken the job, I, I can't come anymore. This is going to be too, this isn't, this isn't good for us right now. And so I can say to you, honestly, it was probably the lowest week in my life, lowest couple of weeks in a decade. And, and I descended into some pretty dark places inside my head. And I'll be honest with you, I wanted to give up. And, and I found myself saying in my head, I'm just going to give up. I'm going to stop caring about other people. Look what looking after other people gets me. No more. But after I went into my pity party for a while and some of the elders gave me a loving kick in the pants, I remembered Galatians 6 verse 9, let us not grow tired of doing good, for we will reap at a proper time if we do not give up. And now I had to say that out loud, Ben, don't give up, Ben, don't stop loving Ben, don't stop trusting. You know, I don't say that out loud when other people are around, but I say that to myself when nobody else is around. And you got to say that sometimes. And I was driving uh, home one day about a week and a half ago, and the song Hope Returns by Matthew West comes on, and, and I, I started to cry. It goes like this. So this is how it feels when standing strong turns to barely holding on. The plans you had are shattered on the floor, and your fear tells your faith there's no use praying those prayers anymore. When the world is crashing and your knees hit the ground, when your heart is asking, what do I do now? Just when you think you can't, it can't get worse, hold on, because that's when hope returns. And it did. And as I started to give it over to God, and trust and say, I don't know where my life's going to be in two months from now. I don't know what I'm going to do, where we're going to be as a family, but I trust you, God. He started to lift me out. And I know that's the way some of you feel. You feel like giving up. You're tired. You just want to crawl into a hole and hide. Am I wrong? Some of you just feel so angry about the injustice that has been poured out upon you by others. Some of you feel lonely in your situation of suffering. I don't have a magic pill to make it better. I wish I could. But I can say the best advice, solid advice, and that is trust God. Trust God and Him alone, 100%, all the way. He is worthy. He is faithful. He is good. 
And I'm not saying everything is going to work out the way you think. I'm not going to say you're not going to suffer. I can't promise you that all your relationships are going to be healed. I can't promise you you're not going to be in the pit like Joseph for a while, that you're not going to be in the wilderness like Moses was for a while, that you're not going to be in caves like David was or in a foreign land like Naomi was. But I, I, I can promise you, with every fiber of my being, that God will work together all things for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And so... As I walk forward like a child with my wife in hand, and we follow God through a dark forest where we don't know where we're coming out, we remember what He did in the past in our lives. We remember that He's in the details of our lives right now. We see His blessings. We know He's with us, and He will never leave us nor forsake us. And I encourage you, do the same. Don't give up. Keep following. Keep trusting, and someday he's going to make your path straight. Let's pray. Father God, we come, some with pretty heavy burdens, some in pretty dark places. Some are lonely, Lord. Some are beaten down with financial woes. Some, Lord, are just devastated about relational problems. God, some just feel so ostracized from family. Some just feel like, yeah, they're a part of this church, but nobody really knows them. God, we all come with our stuff, and we fail. Yeah, we fail, but we come believing that you are the God of the Bible, that you are still making paths straight, that even if our bodies and our hearts fail, you will never fail us. God, would you encourage those? who need you. Would you help them to jump out of the plane, to trust? There are some in here, Lord, who have been Christians for 20, 30, 40, 50 years, and they're still standing with the parachute in their hands. They have never actually started to live what they say they believe. Would you, by the power of your Holy Spirit, give them the courage to do that today? And Lord, I thank you for what you've been doing at Calvary. When I was a part of it, Lord, and what you're doing now that I'm just standing on the outside watching, I pray you would continue to build in Calvary, at Gravenhurst, a hospital for the broken where, where they don't just stay broken, but they are healed and put back together, where they can go out and show others that there is still a God who saves and that there is a great hope. So, Lord, would you bless this church in the months and years to come? In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon audio. For more resources or to connect with us, visit calvarygravenhurst.com.